You're listening to Making Innovation Happen, a podcast by The Bakery, in conversation with Andrew Humphreys and Tom Salmon. We just start and see what happens. Yeah. Hi, I'm Andrew Humphreys. And I'm Tom Salmon. And today we want to talk about not what makes innovation happen, but what makes innovation not happen. Uh, sometimes, well, pretty much all the time, when you work in corporate innovation, it's accepted that there's a failure rate. Uh, not everything works. Yeah, I feel like we should be playing some really doom-laden music right now. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's worst nightmare. Oh, my goodness. Failure. <laughs> failure. <laughs> um, and the challenge uh, sometimes we've been asked is, well, why doesn't it work? What is it that makes innovation not happen? Uh, we spend quite a lot of our time trying to improve the rate of success and trying to figure out you know, what's, what's worked and what's good. But it's also really interesting to look at the things that didn't get to fruition and what were the causes of that? Yeah, I'm, obviously innovation has an inherent risk to it, doesn't it? Mm. And if you're going to do new things and experiment and try to achieve something that hasn't been done before, there's always a chance that it won't work, which is natural as part of the process. But there are also other things that can uh, increase the chance of failure, aren't yes. there? Well, I mean, there's a very old saying, maybe it's not that old, I don't know. And it's, uh, you know, if you, if you don't fail at least half the time, you're not innovating hard enough. Yeah. You know, you've got, you can't expect everything you do to work. And of course, in, in large corporations, particularly, you know, they're very risk averse, they're very failure averse. Uh, and actually talking about failure and looking at, at what doesn't work is, is anathema to them. They actually just want to bury, bury it under the carpet and pretend yeah, and, and looking uh, for certainty ab about outcomes is obviously built into a corporate structure. You know, they mm. want definitive deliverables and to know what outcomes are going to be. But obviously innovation doesn't necessarily provide that. Or if you approach innovation in a certain way, as we do, there's definitely risk and failure built into it. And looking for that certainty can often lead to a need for for absolute 100% uh, information yeah. of the future and in order to make a decision. And that can be really, um, you know, it can lead to paralysis of decision-making. So um, I think that's it. You know, this, 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 everyone sort of accepts that they have to accept some level of failure, but that's very risky and difficult for corporates to do. Uh, and if you can't accept uh, anything less than 100% guarantee, then ultimately... You, you risk total inaction. You don't do anything. And that has a massive cost potentially to the business. So uh, what we thought we'd talk about today were some of the things that we've experienced over the sort of six or seven years of doing this that have led to projects stalling or not, you know, being taken forward or, um, you know, not experiments not happening and try and understand what some of those things might be. Because... Strangely, in our experience, it's not because the technology doesn't exist or it's not possible to do or you can't find a good solution. It's much more about something that uh, happens inside the, the larger corporate. Um, and there are a bunch of those things that happen. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, thinking through all the stages that occur during innovation, the, the, 
you know, fa- failure can be built in from day one if you're not mm. careful. If well, you look at the wrong problem, if you pick example. the wrong problem. I mean, one yeah. of our mantras we talked about it in a, a very early podcast, which is start with the problem. And of course, what we mean by that is start with a challenge, an opportunity, a, a, an innovation area that you know is is ripe for innovation. And we mean don't start with the technology; start with the challenge. But that challenge needs to be the right kind of challenge. It needs to have the right set of characteristics uh, associated with it. What what are some of the characteristics? Yeah, I think there's lots of different reasons why a problem might not be the right one. And we spend a lot of time trying to identify the, the right problems. And those are things like how how big and meaningful is this problem if you can solve it? And making sure that you understand that is really critically important because it's not going to deliver any return into the business, then no one's going to care about it. Yeah, and absolutely. You don't want to invest a lot of time and money and effort in something that's not going to deliver a return. Sounds obvious, but often that is the case. And it's not going to be interesting enough for other people and startups necessarily to engage with and work on if it's not big enough to solve. Yeah, too I many think- times people, you know... Um, work on something that's probably a pet project of, yeah. of somebody and or they listen to what we call the hippo, the highest paid person's opinion. And, uh, you know, they, they think, oh, well, that's got to be the one that we need to solve. But they haven't really thought it through in terms of what it would really deliver yeah. for the business. And sometimes in within that wrong problem, there might be a right problem trying mm. to get out, mm. but it's how you reframe that and focus that. Yeah. I think it's really critically important that you have the right stakeholder involved as Absolutely, well. And there's yeah. someone in the organization who really, really cares about solving this problem. Because again, you need, uh, you know, so, someone who is going to be a sponsor of that, who's going to push it through the organization. And, you know, at those moments where it might be sticky or difficult, they really truly believe that this will be worth solving at the end of the day. Yeah, because the reality is it doesn't matter what kind of new thing it is. There will be obstacles. There will be challenges to implementation or uh, to getting it accepted or getting people to buy into it. Uh, And there'll probably be some level of cost or budget or something that goes alongside it. So having somebody that's engaged and senior enough and, you know, uh, ingrained in the business enough to to be able to push that through uh, and want to do that is incredibly important. That stakeholder is critical to success. Yeah. And I think, again, it's really important to identify all the things that you will need to unlock in order to solve the problem. Mm-hmm. So that may be a data set. It may be an access to an IT system. It may be things about compliance or regulation. There's all kinds of um, components in there that if you don't have access to those things or don't understand the, the regulatory or compliance framework, then you know maybe you're going to get stuck down the line because you'll run out of road, so mm-hmm. to speak, because you won't be able to get the the, the data or IT system support that you need. So Absolutely. understanding those things early and having again the right people from the, you know those areas of the business involved and again engaged, and because sometimes you might be able to get access to the IT systems, but if the IT team or, or whatever aren't engaged with it, then they may stop the process from working yes. at some point or it gets you know put onto a stack of work that needs to be done that can't be done for a period of time and and that that lack of, of momentum or that that hiatus 
in delivery of the of the uh, of, of the new technology or solution just causes all of the excitement and opportunity to wither away um, and 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 new innovations can just wither on the vine like that and uh, you know I think that brings on to you know another area of why innovations don't work which is about momentum mm. it's really critically important that when you set out on this journey and you start exploring the problem and the solutions and that you can sustain momentum and that the, the, the process doesn't grind to a halt because yeah. you can't unlock something or a stakeholder that has, isn't bought in properly or... So this is a really important, I think this is probably the most important thing, apart from the nature of the problem mm. itself. Um, the, the most important thing is this concept of keeping momentum. It doesn't matter, you know, the, with the best will in the world, most of these stakeholders that we're talking about have probably got other jobs to do. You know, they're probably pretty important people that are doing a day job. They've got priorities that, you know, they're normal kind of operation of the business to run. So this new innovation element that they're kind of trying to get accepted or delivered within the business is going to be something that they can't devote 100% of their time to. Any element of making it very difficult for them to make a decision or it, where it spends too much time of theirs, you know, getting involved in this is going to inject time into the process of innovation. Mm. And the more time you have in that process of innovation, the less chance there is of it moving forward, continuing to move on its, on its journey. And it's surprising how quickly these kinds of innovations shift and change and pivot uh, in, in quite short periods of time, weeks uh, mm. in, in, in instead of months. And this, again, something that corporates find really difficult to, uh, to get their heads around, I think. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, one of the things that we found, again, with our process is it's really important to, uh, you know, create the right environment and unlock the right things from day one to ensure that, that momentum can be sustained throughout this pr whole process. And it's why we, you know, unlock um, budget to do trials mm -hmm. to start with. It's why we unlock data sets, why we engage stakeholders yeah. and do a lot of work up front to try to ensure that the conditions and environment are right. Yes, and the, the, because if you find, let's imagine you find something great and then you have to go back into the business to perhaps apply for a bit more budget or uh, you know get somebody else bought in because they need to be involved in the next stage mm. of the process you know that's going to take a few weeks or you know a, even a couple of months uh, within a large corporation and by that time you know the energy will have dissipated throughout this process priorities might have changed uh, people could have moved department you know uh, anything could happen in the macro environment and you end up saying, is this the right thing for us to do? Yeah. And as a result, you know, there's a much, it's a much easier decision or, you know, kind of uh, natural way of thinking that we say, oh, well, let's, let's not do this. And that's the poison. That's the killer yeah. of innovation. And I mean, I think you touched on it there about decision making. Mm. And, you know, that's something that, is critically important, isn't it, in this process, is ability to make, make decisions. decisions, yeah. yeah. And again, this is really interesting because most corporates have a way of making decisions. You know, they're used to it. They, they buy things all the time from 
large suppliers and, and they go through procurement processes and all of these kinds of uh, processes that allow them to make these decisions. And typically, you know, that's, you know, let's have a set of proposals and a set of PowerPoint decks or whatever it happens to be, we can make a decision. Working with startups and working with entrepreneurs is very different. And working with new technologies and new things that you don't know whether they're actually going to work or not, where there's some level of experimentation or risk associated with it, you know, it, it's just not dealt with in the same way. So you have to make those decisions really, really small and easy to make, but you have to do a lot of them. There have to be an, a number of decisions to be made along the process. And I think unlike those other decision-making processes that corporates do, you, you won't ever have 100% information. You won't know what the final outcome will be or the deliverable. If you buy from a big supplier, you very much want to know what am I going to get yeah. and how much is it going to cost and when am I going to get it? Yeah, and, and what happens those, if it doesn't work? Exactly. Yeah. All those things that are very quantifiable and definable mm. because you're dealing with established businesses with proven technologies, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> Not always, but sometimes. Um, but yeah, operating in this space is you're working with early stage startups or technology companies you um don't you, you're asking them maybe to do things that are outside of what they have done previously a little or, or bit or maybe what anyone's done previously yeah and you don't know necessarily what the outcomes may or may not be you don't know if these things will work you don't know exactly how long they might take mm -hmm. And therefore, you have to make decisions without all that information that you would normally want in front of you. So it's quite tricky for corporates to get their heads into that world yeah, and a, think differently. Exactly. It's a different mindset. Yeah. And the, the good news, on the other hand, is you don't, you're not committing to a long-term you know, thing necessarily. It's not like those other decisions where you make this decision and that's the decision for two years or five years. This is something that might, you know, you might try for a week or a couple of weeks or maybe a month at the outside and see whether it works. You're not committing to a long-term relationship yeah. up front. So it's making sure that those are as small as possible in terms of commitment and money and budget and time that actually the risk of making that decision and trialing something and learning is really, really small. Exactly. And that there's far more risk from not doing it mm. And as we talk about the ROI, which is risk of inaction, yes. then actually making that decision and doing something. And if it doesn't work out, it's it's not a disaster because you've probably learned a lot by going through that process. And well, that's exactly right. You know, we often say sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Yeah. And, you know, the, 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 unless you do these things, unless you make these decisions and try these experiments, uh, you, you'll never know. Of course, you've got to mitigate you know, those risks. You've got to make sure that if you do do this thing that it, and it doesn't work, it's not going to blow up in your face. Yeah. You're not going to lose a lot of face. No, 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 you know, the whole world isn't going to find out about it. Um, and that's fine. You can do those things. You can, you know, safeguard these decisions. And I think that, I mean, there's another kind of saying in startup world about, you know, belief about strong opinions weekly held. And when you go into some of these things, you... You have to have quite an opt optimistic mindset and outlook. You have to uh, believe that you're doing the right things. Obviously, you, if you don't believe it's the right thing to be doing, you shouldn't be doing of course it. Not. But you you won't have a hundred percent information. And 
one of the things that you're trying to do is prove or disprove whether this technology will work. So you might have a belief that something's the right thing, but it's not the end of the world if you prove that that's not the right thing to have believed. You yes. change your beliefs, you move on. Absolutely. And, and you, you adapt and go and find the next thing. And we've seen that quite a lot. You know, it's actually quite interesting how often the right solution for a particular challenge or a particular problem is completely counterintuitive. You know, lots of organizations or, or, or people with inside corporates will say, what we need is a solution that does X and has this feature and does that and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And of course, so many times they actually pay to have those things built, launch them and, and, and realize actually nobody uses it. And, yeah. You know, because of what they thought the market wanted or their, you know, staff wanted or whatever it happens to be, isn't true at yeah. all. Uh, and, and it's not until you test multiple small things, which is obviously the way entrepreneurs think, um, and get feedback from an audience or from a user or from your customers, and they say, well, either this is good or it isn't good, that you really know what to build and or, or deliver. And those things can be totally counterintuitive. Mm. And I, I think that's the, the challenge, isn't it? The, the counterintuitive nature of yeah. some of these processes to traditional corporate structures mm. and managing risk within them. It's something that, for, for very good reason, mm. people don't want people going out and gambling with the company's no. money, obviously. Exactly. I mean, it makes total sense. Mm. You know, it's not, you can't view the whole world through the lens of it's an experiment. No. But this is a way with very managed and reduced risk of introducing some of that um, experimentation into an yes. organization. And it's about limiting the exposure to risk yes. ultimately yeah, and, and increasing the potential upside. You know, if you limit the downside to being very small, mm. but the potential upside is huge, mm. then that's incredibly powerful and in order to do that, sometimes you just have to do, you know, test things because no one knows what what the the outcomes will be. Yes, exactly. And I think the the whole key about this is doing lots of small things. And again, we've talked about this in another podcast, making lots of small bets. Because you're making pretty small decisions, you're doing fairly small tests, you're not investing huge amounts of money or time in 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 these processes. That means you can do more. And what we found is that when you do more things and test more things, then you can get to a, let's talk about success rate. You can get to a success rate of about 50% of all of the things that you, that you try and solve. And obviously that means there's a failure rate of about 50% as well. Um, so all of these things that we've been talking about, this, the, the, these uh, uh, challenges with momentum slowing down and change priorities, uh, these un situations where you haven't got the right stakeholders onboarded, uh, where you haven't prepared the ground or found the big enough or, or, or uh, correct enough challenge to work on. Those are the things that really contribute to that failure rate in, in our experience. And, and maybe the, a good thing to do now would be to talk about one or two examples of where that's happened. Yeah, I mean, one thing I was going to ask you, though, is... Obviously, we talk we talk about failure a bit, quite a lot. Sometimes it's an important component of what we do, and failure is definitely built in 
to our process and it's part of learning and feedback. But from what we've been saying, there's a sort of concept of there's good failure and there's bad failure. Mm. There's failure that could could be prevented or failure that's been introduced by other forces and factors. Yes. And there's just failure that happens naturally as part of yes. this and is inherent in the process that you learn from. Some of this stuff we've been talking about around decision-making and things, obviously you're not going to learn much from that, no. are you? You're just going to fail, but you're not. that's not part of an iterative learning process. No, I, t I completely take your point. I think again, the question here is, you know, can, can you therefore predict failure better you yeah. know, if, you, if you know the things that make it? And I guess that's what we're talking about. I, I, in hindsight, looking back 2020 <laughs> hindsight in so, at some of the uh, projects that we've worked on, I could probably have predicted, knowing what I know now about failure, that some of those challenges were just ne destined to not work. Um, and um, I can also say with some confidence that at certain points through the process, when you saw what was going on as part of the process, you could predict that that process wasn't going to deliver a, a successful result as well. It, it might have been the right challenge, but you know the, 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 the nature of uh, the organization or the, the, the people involved or the politics or whatever it happened to be, we're just always going to get in the way. So it probably wouldn't have been as good, wise to start. Yeah. And so, I mean, what, what are some of the experiences that you can talk about? So I think, you know, some of the, I'm, I'm thinking back and some of the things that I can, I can really remember is where the challenge or the problem was, and I was talking to somebody about this just the other day, actually, was really much more of an internal problem framed as it like it was a customer challenge. So in other words, our customers aren't buying our products enough. We need to, you know, tell them to buy them more or whatever it happens to be. So, uh, you know, it, it's actually a problem for your business, but you're framing it as if it's a customer issue or, a, yeah. you know, an external problem. And that's what you're trying to fix. Um, so I think those kinds of challenges, you know, where you haven't really considered the customer or the user or the end, you know, uh, uh, recipient of this solution in the right way are, are definitely a no-no. Um, I think one of the, I think it's sort of a subset of that. It might not be, but mm -hmm. it is the, we want to digitize our entire business and, uh, you know, customer journey mm -hmm. without cannibalizing our existing, you know, supply chain and yes. retail outlets, etc. Yes. And, you know, you end up caught between these two worlds yes. of, okay, so what are the solutions that go direct to consumer yes. without cutting out the retailer middleman? Exactly. So and that's obviously an impossible problem to solve. Yes. Um, and we have got caught in that trap a couple of times, Definitely. but I think we have got good at spotting those good, things. Yes, that's right. If, if people are literally unwilling to, you know, uh, to change anything in their existing environment, yeah. um, then it becomes and, very, very difficult. And obviously, again, I think that some, I mean, obviously when I frame it like that, it sounds, again, really obvious that, mm. well, yeah, you can't do both things at the same time. Mm. But, uh, you know, often the, the problem is purely framed as we want to um, 
you know, digitize or have a direct to consumer offering. Mm. And it's only later on that someone in the organization steps forward and says, well, hang on a minute. Yes, exactly. You can't cannibalize our existing <laughs> uh, retail network yes, because exactly. they'll um, throw our products out the door and start working with us. And that's where we get all our money from. Yeah, exactly. So it can be really hard to yeah. do those things. Uh, and so the question is, well, how do you how do you do that? Do you mm. do it in a separate environment? You know, there's a, yeah. there's a number of different ways of doing that. So another really big, interesting, uh, you know, uh, obstacle uh, to potential innovation happened quite recently with a very large client. And often this happens with big corporations where innovation tends to happen in, in relative silos around the business. Um, you can uh, be thinking about a particular new way of doing something. Let's say... I don't know, call it a new way of communicating internally. Um, and you experiment with different technologies and solutions. You find the perfect solution. It really works for your team, your division. You think this is something that's, that's going to save you millions of dollars over a period of time. Uh, and you've proven it. You've done your testing and, and it really works and your users love it and it's providing huge efficiencies. And then you have proven it so that you go up to group level and ask for a little bit of funding to, you know, uh, implement this new solution. And somebody says, oh, no, we're using, I don't know, Office 365 to do that. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it's coming down the track and it'll be with you in about two years time. Yeah. And uh, that, that, of course, takes the, all of the wind out of your sails. You can't implement it because it's against group policy. And actually, we all know that it takes much longer than two years to get anything and it's never as good as you imagine it's going to be anyway. Not that Office 365 isn't fantastic, but um, you know, it's a, it, it, if you're not communicating about the things that you're innovating around and you're not sharing uh, the things that different people are doing, you can get stuck in that kind of um, yeah. cycle. And I think, uh, you know, another thing around this is about sometimes about speed where mm. obviously operating in this space doing new things finding the right startups is great and it's really exciting but sometimes at a certain point people will say well that's really cool i'm really excited about that but we'll roll that out in 12 or 18 months mm. or you know and they park it somewhere and they think that this that environment and that startup will still be functioning in the same way and you know, they they may well be, but they will probably be in a very different shape and form and different cost base and everything. And um, so I think that, you, again, knowing how to scale and roll those things out, it's all very well testing and trialing things, but being able as well to scale them up, roll them out and achieve those goals against relatively meaningful timeframes yes. is important. And um, you know, and again, we've seen this on a number of levels, even, you know, from an investment perspective where, you know, we've found very early stage companies who are at a point where they are really looking to partner with people. They're looking for investment and, you know, they would take relatively small investment for quite, you know, substantial amount of equity and the, you know, the the corporate could do that investment and write a small check and it would be done. Mm -hmm. But for various reasons, they park it and they wait for maybe even a few months, you know, it could be three or four months. And mm -hmm. in that time, the whole landscape has changed for that startup. And suddenly 
it's built some partnerships, it's built its technology out, it might have been on an accelerator, and suddenly it's worth 10 times the amount of money that it was before, and the deal that was on the table... Just isn't there anymore. ...isn't there. So, mm. you know, again, being able to act quickly in those environments without putting too many controls and parameters around it can yes. be really important because that can deliver a substantial return. And exactly. again, taking some of those early risks that, you know, are fairly inconsequential financially early yes. can make a huge difference down the line. So, you know, it's really, again, we talk about speed and decision-making, mm. you know, these things can, can definitely uh, stop innovation from happening yes. within that environment. So people often ask us, well, what is it about our process that actually makes innovation happen at this relatively high rate? And the answer that I typically give is that we've built this process that allows you to just keep putting one foot in front of the other and just keep a momentum moving. We even call our first test the smallest first step. Uh, and uh, we used to call it a proof of concept or an MVP, but even those things were too big, you know. So we, we, uh, we had to invent this new terminology, the smallest first step. Something you can do in a week or a couple of weeks that allows you to prove a hypothesis about whether this particular solution or technology or new innovation is going to deliver some kind of return. You can measure it. Um, and then the next thing is, well, what's the next smallest step that you can make and how do you make that decision to do that and then beyond that well what does the next one look like and and the trouble is is too many corporations want to rush to you know the final uh scaled thing uh, too early um, and just keeping one putting one foot in front of the other is the key to driving success and sometimes it's great to have a third party in between the corporate and the startup to make sure that continues to happen. And again, I think some, uh, you know, I, I, I think the smallest first step process, you know, with this eye on what is the biggest, hardest goal is really powerful. Mm. But again, sometimes within corporates, doing things that are so tiny and small just isn't in, interesting or exciting. And it's almost designed to not be that interesting or exciting because it's so risk-free really but getting momentum into the process and you know instead of writing a huge proposal mm. for a lot of money to mm. build roll out deliver launch scale all those things mm. and suddenly you've got a you know a million pound decision in front of yes. you you know rewinding it to make it a few thousand pounds in a few weeks yes. is should be really easy and yes. it shouldn't it should almost not be a decision that you even have to think about no, exactly. because you can stop and switch it off at any time and walk away from it you can change your mind you can move on you can work with other partners mm. you know you're not on the hook for a, a lot of money and a long exactly. time rollout on something that you're really still uncertain about, even if you've got a piece of paper in front of you that tells you it, it, exactly. exactly what you're going to get and when you're going to get it. <laughs> you've got no idea whether that's the right thing. So, yes. And again, the key to this is having a number of those on the go at yeah. the same time so that when they don't work, you can say, well, that's fine. doesn't matter. Let's close that one down. We'll double down on the one that is working. Uh, and, and that's the key to doing this, really, is keeping this momentum going, making lots of small steps and doing these things 
quite small, but with an eye to that biggest, hardest goal. In fact, there was a really good article, um, I think, by Satya Nadella, of, um, CEO of Microsoft, who said that you know when you're a you know, multi-billion dollar company, something that's worth, I don't know, 100 million doesn't look like very much, but it could be the most important thing that we're working on. Uh, so it's really important to say that even if this thing you know, isn't going to move the needle this year or even next year, we should keep experimenting with them. And it's about making sure you keep these experiments going, you keep them moving, make the decisions small enough so that they're not you know, massive things that everybody needs to be involved in. But make sure you also know if it's not working, well, let's just close that down and put it down to experience. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, I think that's a very common problem, isn't it, in big big corporations is, you know, that, you know, we've worked with other big FMCG brands that, you know, they have brands and that if they're not worth a billion dollars a year, they're not interested, yeah. you know, and if they've got a three or four hundred million dollar brand, they'll sell it off to exactly, someone. Exactly, exactly. And that on one level seems crazy, but you also understand there's an economy of scale and Absolutely. a sweet spot for where they operate. But in order to create those businesses and things, they need to start from smallest first steps. You've been listening to Making Innovation Happen by The Bakery, hosted by Andrew Humphreys and Tom Salmon and produced by Vita and 1618 Digital. To be the first to hear about future episodes, you can subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. Or for more information and extra content, check out the show notes or visit thebakery.com. Thanks for listening. 